Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to an overlap fan debate special. We've got Arsenal fans on my right, Manchester United fans on my left, and we've also got two journalists from The Athletic to give us the full rundown on two huge football clubs. Brilliant win for Manchester United yesterday on the back of you know other good results. Is there, is there a real good feel-good factor now about Manchester United? Yeah, I think the most important thing is we're seeing a team that's fighting out there at the moment and playing for that for the shirt. That's what Manchester United fans have been demanding the most, I think. Against Brighton, Brentford, you kind of expect to have hiccups early in the season, especially when you see what Ten Hag's demanding of them. But you can't accept not turning up to fight. And I think against Liverpool, um, Southampton, Leicester, and again against Arsenal, we have scrapped for everything. There's been periods where we've played good football as well, but the wins haven't been all about that. I mean, Liverpool had a period where they were on top, Arsenal did, and we've managed to get through. So there's a real good feel-good factor. And I'm starting to like some of the players again, which, <laughs> which is really good. Like, You're not getting fooled to... by them, are you, again? <laughs> yeah. But the likes of Lissandro Martinez and stuff, like, I feel like on the pitch, they're connecting with the fans and they're giving the fans what they want to see. They've got qualities in there as well. And I also feel like the likes of Martinez, Malassia, Although I'm not seeing it, I feel like on the training ground, they'd lift the whole training mm. ground, they'd be snapping into every challenge and they'll be really fighting for their position. Well, well you see them sort of high-fiving, don't you, when someone makes a clearance or, or they make a block or whatever. But when you're saying about this fight in the Manchester United team now, of course, you saw that at the start against Liverpool. <clears throat> what I would say is that the games have been completely different that you've won than the first two games where you've, mm. you've probably had 70% possession, you can see the first goal. The games now, I think starting against Liverpool, and what I really admire about Ten Hag watching them, is the fact that he's, he's, he's tried to play a certain way in the first two games, trying to play out from the back, using the goalkeeper. And against Liverpool, he didn't. Mm. And I admire that as a manager, that a manager isn't stubborn enough to say, I do this and we don't change. So I think Ten Hag has done brilliant uh, to sort of tweak the system. But I don't think how Manchester United are playing right now is exactly how he wants Manchester United no, to play in the future. There's glimpses of it. I think you see in, in the goal, the pass from Christian, the quick pass out, and then you get the quick break on them. I think there were, there's been glimpses of it. I think there was the goal against Leicester City as well. It was a good build-up play. We're getting to see parts of it, and maybe for 10 minutes in the game. We haven't seen it for 90 minutes, and we're not controlling games yet. I think that will come eventually once he gets more time on the training ground. What, what, what's changed? I mean, I, I should have put my finger on it yesterday in terms of what's the one thing that Ten Hag or the players have done since that Brentford year? How did you change from where we were, so low, as bad as it gets, to what we're now seeing. What is the thing that's, I mean, is it the change in the team? Is it the new players coming in? Is it just confidence? Is it Ten Hag's instructions? It's probably just a mixture of everything. Like, the fact, like Adam was saying, like, the fight and the intensity <coughs> from the players, that is a sort of a knock-on effect from Malassia bringing a bit more, Martinez bringing a bit more, Ericsson bringing a bit more. I think as well, pre-season almost gave this kind of false hope where the players seem like things are turning around here and this is looking good, the Liverpool game, the Palace game and then you get humbled in those first two games the way they did, it's almost like they had to kind of reset entirely and think, actually, we were kind of giving 70 80% in pre-season and that was working, but actually it has to be 100% or nothing. And obviously that making them run in training, I don't know, that's, a lot's been made of that probably more than it needs to, to be honest. But I think showing that 
you have to work, and not just you, but I'll work with you. I think Ten Hag doing that was massive. The defence is, is important that, as is, well. Is We've got not, a solid defence. Yeah, yeah, I mean, is it not? I mean, you're saying, and I was, I was watching the show yesterday, and for me, it, it seems pretty obvious what's happened. I don't. I think Ten Hag's obviously reneged a little bit on exactly what he wanted to do because you know he's having Herrickson as a holding midfield play. Maybe the goalkeeper can't play as well with his feet. But I, I don't want this to say like Man United being lucky. But what's helped is that you've got the first goal in games, and then you've almost. Sat back. I didn't see the Leicester game, but I saw the Southampton game. That felt very similar. Way. Mm. The other, the yeah. So Liverpool had a lot of the ball. Yeah, but, Arsenal had a lot of the ball. Southampton had a lot of the ball. from Brentford and what's been previous to what there's now. What I'm saying to you is, how's that changed? What, I know, but Gary, players, when, when you've got, if you've got it for two years. No, but Gary, when you've got 70% of the ball, as Manchester United did that against Brighton and did against Brentford, and then you're chasing the ball, there is going to be a big difference no, in terms of. Them. I think the defence is a big, big factor mm. in that. We've changed the defence in those four games, which I think is a key point. You look at Martinez, you look at Varane. They've given us some solidity. I used to criticise Scott McTominay an awful lot over the last 12 months. And even his putting in performances at the moment. I feel like once you've got two centre-halves that you can trust, it gives you a little bit of stability. Beating Liverpool, a game that we probably went into thinking, we'll take a draw here. We get a win in that. That can unite the dressing room and make everybody think, actually, Cristiano Ronaldo's now not moping about and, you know, is he going to leave, is he not? I told you However long that lasts. Um, but, you know, we haven't got the question marks over him. I feel like everyone is pulling in the right direction. Okay, you, have you changed your mind on Martinez, by the way? No, I think he's a good player. I don't. I'm, well, I wouldn't want a centre back who's five foot nine in my team. I wouldn't. I would not. You said he, to, you to, said he couldn't work, didn't you? A couple well, of weeks well, we'll ago. see. We've had four games. Don't be getting carried away. Well, we played two. <laughs> well, you said it after yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, so. Have you said that? No, no. You said that after two games. In terms, you know, talk about getting carried away. Yeah, and we had to analyse after two games. So don't get carried away after six. You were talking about yesterday. Do you see? If, if Odegaard scores the open goal, he should score. You'd be saying he made a mistake, but listen. Jesus got in behind. Yeah, him. but for a, for a defender to be five foot nine and play, never mind the Premier League, to any level of football, he's got to be a good player because that is not normal. You don't see that. So his passing is very good. He looks aggressive. He looks like a leader. I'm not saying he's, a, he's obviously not a bad player, but yeah. to play at that level of five foot nine, I wouldn't want my team or I wouldn't want to play alongside someone who was five foot nine I think as a centre back. What you're talking about here is essentially the margin for error, right? So, first two games, Harry Maguire is playing his new role on the right-hand side. He's played his entire career on the left side as, as left centre-back, and he doesn't necessarily trust Martinez, right? So, if you look at one of the goals, the second goal against Brighton, he's stood in front of Martinez because he's old habits, die hard, go over to the left-hand side. He clearly doesn't believe the five-foot-nine man next to him is going to make those tackles, so he's trying to mop up. Goes wrong. Rafael Varane, just trust him for reasons, he's just different. And that trust and that, you know, the whole way they are playing, Rafa Aran's doing certain things and if Rafa Aran misses, Lissandra Martinez goes, don't worry, I'll increase your, mar your margin for error because I'll sweep up behind you. That allows an extra thing. Terrell Malasio being a little bit more intensive when he's defending increases the margin for error Martinez can play compared to Luke Shaw. And ever so slightly, just cumulatively, the margin for error to play a five foot nine person builds. Martinez knows he's five foot nine. Everyone knows he's five foot nine. If you listen to this and you're five foot nine, I feel really, really bad for you. Because all you're going to get all this season is five foot nine, he's too short. But Martinez has played his entire career knowing he has to be near perfect every single time he makes a tackle. And that's my and what's point he done? on that. And my point on that perfect. is you've, you've had, if you think of the best, think of the best centre back to ever play in this country. People, I, I never saw him play. Bobby Moore wins yeah. the World Cup. You think of Franco Baresi, I would say he's the best centre back to ever play in my eyes. 
I didn't see Bobby Moore play, but Franco Baresi was lightning quick, was amazing on the ball. He organised the whole defence, and he was still five foot nine, five foot ten. So what I'm saying is, for uh, Martinez to play at his level, he's obviously a good player. You can see him as passing with his left foot. He's aggressive. All those things. So he has to be because of the height. But at times that will cost him. That's but if he is, if he is nine out of ten at everything else. As you've just said, Dan, you sound like a mathematician, but <laughs> it will compensate for being five foot nine. Because yeah. at times, if you're out of that height, you will get exposed, as we saw in the first two games. Which is true. And it's quite interesting that Gabriel Jesus is probably the striker who's given him the most business. Because mm. Gabriel Jesus is the first one to look at him and go, I'm not going to play you like I'm bigger than you. I'm going to play you and run. This isn't going to be a, a boxing match. This is going to be a dance. But, but that, we said before the Liverpool game, listen, I wasn't the biggest centre-back at all. And, and I found it more difficult playing against a... Kevin Davis, Bobby Zamora, uh, Carlton Cole, rather than playing against a United or a Chelsea or, or a City, because that game is more about reading the game. When I was having to like win challenges constantly, I wasn't amazing in the year. That's where I think he will look at his best. We said that before, Liverpool, when he's reading the game and the ball's coming into feet. And yesterday was pretty similar, even though Jay, Jay Zeus was amazing. But I think that's where he would be at his best, maybe in certain games against top teams. But I still think at times you will have a problem. That's fine. It's, I think what we're, we're essentially getting to a very long conversation in basically what can an individual you do in a collective. <laughs> <laughs> what you can do in basically what what. That's can the athletic it, in general, isn't it? I mean, your pieces are like that. I mean, it takes about twenty minutes to read them. Jesus. Let's move on to our. Yeah. Let's move on to Arsenal. Cutting in Arsenal. So. I mean, you lost the game, so obviously not happy about that. But were there big positives about how you played? And are you still confident with what's going on? Yeah, I was gutted to lose the game. I was, you know, I thought we were playing brilliantly. I, I still can't... I'm still a bit upset about that first goal being disallowed. And it would have been a nice to have seen... Do you, think it, did you think it should have been allowed? I thought soft. it was so soft. I, yeah, I do. I, yeah, when I'm, you say soft, I mean, it's a foul, foul, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? Soft we've been told... It was a foul. It was we've a been foul. told... We've been told... And I've listened to you guys a lot saying it, right, that they're going to allow more things and be more this legal. season, yeah. right? And when I saw that, I'm like, the VAR was managing that game then. To pull it all the way back for that, I just thought that you was so soft. You can see that, you're not saying that. Huh? You can see that goal in its stand. Obviously, you're going to take it. Of course I've seen that. I thought it was so soft. But just, it was listen, it is, it is what it is, right? But I would have liked to have seen how United would have reacted if they'd have gone a goal down. Mm -hmm. Because would they have been able to play that same style what they did, which was basically counter-attacking style at home in front of their fans? Because I was quite near their fans and they were already getting a bit restless the way we were sort of controlling the game and controlling the ball. But I, I thought, you know, and, and I heard you say it, Gary, and I, I have to agree with you, we were a bit naive okay. in the end and that's why we ended up um, losing the game. But overall, I spoke to some fans after the game and fans were like, even though they were really gutted, they were like, we're still playing really good football. We've been playing it all season and pre-season. And there's a lot of positives there. And I, and I, I think um, this team this year is definitely capable of getting into the top four. Uh, because I think the Emirates is going to be a fortress. I really do. I don't think a lot of teams are going to come there and win games. And I think we'll win more games away from home. I, I, what, I, what I admire about Ten Hag and what he's done, he's come up against Liverpool and Arsenal, two teams who had managers. You know, Klopp's been there a long time, Arteta's had a few years. So the, the, their team's there. Ten Hag's team's not there yet. He's only been yeah. there six games. And that's why I admire that he's almost taken a back foot because he knows right now he can't take Liverpool on maybe in, in a... In a you know, an, an open game. Mm -hmm. I think even Arsenal yesterday, <clears throat> uh, and it was interesting what Christian Eriksen said after the game. They asked him, well, what's Ten Hag want you to do? And he spoke about things that haven't actually been happening that much in games lately. You know, so the actual idea of Ten Hag, I think, is to get where 
Arsenal's in terms of when his Man United team eventually play how he plays the Ajax way is a lot of what we saw yesterday. I mean, coming away from it, yeah, you can say they were naive and, and I get that it was a mistake at the back. Uh, Saliba a little bit lost his footing to let Rashford go through. But I'd be coming away from that as an Arsenal fan thinking... No, I was we're looking, I'd be really, yeah. I'd be really encouraged with that because I think that's where Ten Hag actually wants to take Manchester yeah, United in terms I'm, of how I'm you play. I'm encouraged. We're a better team than we were last year. Definitely, you know what I mean? And the addition of Jesus, um, I think he's been fantastic in all the games he's played. Zinchenko... You know, I, I'm, I'm really excited. Every time I'm going to watch Arsenal now, I'm excited. When, when I go to home games, it's whereas different. last season there were some fans, they'd be next to me and they'd go, yeah, Robbie, I'm here, of course, you know. Seen to get older, innit? <laughs> yeah, may as well be here. <laughs> I, I, now people are like, I want to be here and I'm engaged and I am really want... You know what I mean? Do you, think, so, so... do you think that will have a little impact on the players? I, I, you know, would you think that'll have a little impact on the players last season's where they were described as naive, because I thought in the last 20 minutes they were a little bit naive mm. yesterday. Mm. Do you think that will just set... Yeah, but was that the manager or the players? It's I thought it was of, the manager. Really. Yeah, though. I agree with that, but does that will that create some doubt in the dressing room? Will that create some doubt in the fan base? Will that create some doubt with the coach? I mean, staff? I can't speak for the whole fan base, of course, but when that last 20 minutes of the game, doubt started to creep in in my mind, thinking, right, we saw what happened last season. This is a game where the players are probably under pressure because it's everyone saying their first real test of the yeah. season to play against the top six team. And we saw what happened last season when the pressure was on. The players didn't really show up. Although we had an amazing game, there's, there's positives to take out of it, but we didn't take the three points at the end of the day. And yeah. that's, that's where the naivety comes in for me, where I'm worried that they cannot perform under pressure. I think there's a fascinating dynamic going on here in that when Arteta was in his early days, he had to be pragmatic to get Arsenal out of the rut that they were in, even to win them the FA Cup in a counter-attack style. Um, Every time he then had setbacks in the subsequent season, he went pragmatic again. He got a bit more, um, I don't know if it's excitable, experimental as they got towards the latter stages of the Europa League and it went wrong against Villarreal and he went back to pragmatism. He's finally got the recruitment that he's wanted and started to build a more expansive team which came to Old Trafford yesterday and expressed itself. I've been to pretty much every Arsenal game at Old Trafford in recent years and they've not played in that way before. Yeah. They were really aggressive in attack and they were pretty confident even watching them in the warm-up. I saw a different team, some big boys in there, some very confident boys and leaders. Um, by contrast, Ten Hag has come in and he's, although he's had a, a very firm plan when he came in, he, he actually arrived at Carrington at the start of last season to get preparing, went away on holiday, came back, pre-season was good, start of the season disastrous. He's had to go pragmatic. The United we're seeing at the moment, playing on the counter-attack and picking up these results, and not the United that he would like to think we're going to see in, in subsequent months and years when they're able to not only play on the character that they're showing now, but play with quality and style as well. That was the pragmatism that got United through, I think, yesterday. And when they got to 3-1, they were a little bit more relaxed and expansive. And so that's why I think Arsenal fans are coming away with uh, relative optimism. One, they're still top of the league. But two, they're in a different period in their genesis yeah. and yeah. journey than United. Why did he make... And obviously, look, I've been a manager for a very short period. <laughs> and I understand making substitutions is one of the most difficult things to do. You know, whether you're 1-0 up, whether you're drawing or whether you're 1-0 down. Do you chase the game? Do you not chase the game? How would you chase a game? I was really surprised, particularly coming through the Pep Guardiola school, of Pep just chases a game the same way all the time. They'll just continue to play the same way, same methodology. Why did he, why did he 
goal the way he did so far out with yeah, 20 minutes to go. I it's strange. I, what, with the changes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought at the time. Makes the triple change, goes to three at the back, tries to play wing backs, which you try and play wing backs when you're trying to pin back yeah. the opposition. Yeah, he, he, went for the, he went for the win, and you know, I, mean, I commend him for that, but it was I was one. just like, after Did you think at the time? Did you think at the time? At the, the time, game? I was like, are we going a bit too gun ho? I did, I did think we'd taken off too many defensive type minded yeah. players in Zinchenko, we're taking then, Sambi Lakonga, and all the players that we brought on were sort of attacking players. But then we have like, to remember, Rob. Before that game, we had no idea that Zinchenko or Odegaard were going to play. So maybe that's yeah. the reason he took them off because yeah. they probably weren't 100% fit. Yeah, they, that's them, the them only two thing, were both that's out. The only way I'm I, I was actually surprised that Zinchenko yeah. played. Because... But Tierney's on the bench. He could have kept the balance on that yeah. left hand side. I, was, I, I have to admit, I was surprised. And it reminded me a lot. That game yesterday reminded me a lot of when Tottenham played um, Man City. Remember that game last season? Oh, when, beginning of the season, yeah. When City got back into it and then they just literally just went gun ho for it and. Tottenham ended up counter-attacking on him and scoring. Yeah. And it reminded me a lot of that. And I was just like, was that sort of the pep in him sort of coming through, you know? Pragmatism doesn't just mean hunkering deep and then counter-attacking. Pragmatism is just looking at what you have and then making the best play based on what's in front of you. And I think that's what Ten Hag and did at half-time. At, so Ten Hag looks at his team and they go, mm. well, this team probably needs to defend a bit deeper, can't really dominate attacking positions in midfield. Let's try and attack via our fullbacks and on the transition. Arteta probably looked at that game at 1-1 and went, looked at his bench and went, I've got a lot of attacking players here. I've got a lot of attacking pressure here. The pragmatic thing to do is just chuck on more attackers. Like, but, it's not, but you've got to be sensible. With it's it. not necessary. Pragmatism doesn't just mean I'm going to try and peekaboo Mike Tyson. I thought, you. I thought Ten Hag, though, when he was making... So, so Ten Hag went 2-1 up. He was making the Fred substitution at 1-1. Yeah, as we scored. And then at 2-1, <clears throat> he then st still carried on and made it. He knew he needed to get that midfield under control because if Arsenal were dominating. I just thought that United were always going to go more defensive in midfield, more compact. They were always going to break up play more with those players that were coming on, like Fred, like Casemiro, which meant that the counter-attack was always going to be there. I don't think, when you look at sort of Pep, the, the one thing they always have to do, we, we, we like to always have if you're getting counter-attacked on, you are you're dead in a game. You are dead. And that's what, as soon as the, second, as soon as the substitutions were made by Arsenal, they were finished in that game because the, all of a sudden United just but always had that way out. Surely they also have to look at the substitutes bench. So Ten Hag can make those changes to, to make Manchester United a bit more solid in the midfield because he's got Fred, he's got Casemiro. If you look at Arsenal's bench yesterday, most of them are attacking players. They are. But it's no, don't, don't no make the changes. Trailer. Don't make the changes. Mm. Yeah. I don't think he doesn't have to make to. the changes. No, I, didn't need to I mean, I, I thought the problem watching the game yesterday. It was so easy for Arsenal. I think that was actually a problem mm. in that the actual second goal comes from, I think Zinchenko does a back heel in the middle of the pitch uh, and then uh, Lokonga gets the ball, loses the ball yeah. sloppily and then before you know it's a counter-attack. Yeah. And watching the game, I was just at home watching it. It was, I thought the football from Arsenal was brilliant. And you can talk about how United were the solid sat back, but when you talk about how good you are defensively, but it was it was easy for Arsenal to actually get around the box and they in the they box. They never created so. many like David de Gea made a, a great save in the first half, and then I think Jesus and Martinez kind of clashed head. But apart from that, I don't think he had to make oh, a save. Missed the sitter. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. from the pullback from Saliba. and, and the fact they weren't really chance. taking shots. There weren't many, like many chances. No, but it's I think difficult when the whole team is behind the ball to to actually create chances. But that's why then then the problem is for you. You're not going to get many chances, but they might be big ones in terms because it's counter attack. But it was easy for Arsenal to get around the edge of the box. And I think Arteta made the change because he's thinking, we're playing this well, but we just... Someone we needs to finish. Yeah, someone needs to do something. The thing was making three. Yeah. If he just made one, 
Emile Smith Rowe or something. The three just made the whole dynamic of the game. You guys, You've got three players yeah. trying to. I know what it's like coming on to sub. It's not easy getting three players to come on and then sort of take you. it on from where it's been. I think. I was difficult. just going to say, you guys know better than anyone the flow and the effect that that many substitutes has. But in fairness, Arteta has made some key substitutions in his time in charge of Arsenal that have really worked. There was a time last season when Enketia and Pepe came on at the same time when Arsenal needed a couple of goals against yeah. Wolves, perhaps, and it turned it Fulham this season yeah. When, yeah. When, when it paid off. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work so well on this occasion. Also, it's those big games with the big scrutiny against big opposition where maybe managers like to try and flex. He did it against Villarreal away. He played... Um, a false nine for the first time. Yeah. And they went to Newcastle the next game and, and Xhaka played at left-back. Yeah. And, it, I mean, he's learned off Pep. There was Pep, a bit of that, I think. A bit of, Pep seems got these to, players, let's go on. And... Pep Guardiola seems to make his most controversial decision on the biggest stage, where if it works, yeah. you're the genius. Yeah. He didn't play a holding midfielder in the Champions League final yeah. when for 54 games they played a holding midfielder. And from what we heard, the players, were, the senior players were saying, what's going on here? Those are the moments where the coaches who want to really make their mark maybe experiment, perhaps they shouldn't. And maybe Arteta's got a bit of that from working with Pep, who knows? But it's a really fine line between the genius and the yeah. failure. Let's go on to the bigger picture, transfer window, United first. Let's just talk a little bit about Anthony. What were your first impressions of the... Reminded you of Gary Neville. <laughs> exactly. That filled him a little off. It's filled that with a step yeah. over, isn't it? Um, I, I said to my brother at the time, like, He's going to be a bit like Nanny where mm -hmm. there's going to be moments where we're pulling our hair out saying, what the hell are you doing? You're wasting the ball and you're giving it away. And then there's going to be other moments where he takes our breath away. <clears throat> I thought he didn't really influence the game well apart from scoring the goal. But that goal will really help him because of the kind of player he is, because he wants to take risks, because he wants to take people on. Having that goal now, like Arsenal fans just jeered him just before. Yeah. And I can imagine if he hadn't scored and he kind of comes off the pitch, having done a few stupid things and getting jeered, and then it happens the next game and the next game. Mm. That can start to build up. So getting that goal, massively important. But there'll be plenty more to come. I'm really excited about Jaden Sancho and Rashford under 10 hours this season, especially after what we've been seeing. And I think Martial being added in can bring something to the others in terms of holding up. What did you make, Anthony? I thought it was good. I think, he, like you said, he's, he's one of those players where you can tell that it's not going to be meticulous efficiency. There is going to be some waste product there because of that's just that's just how he is. And he's going to take chances. And you know, Bruno Fernandes is another player who he doesn't use the skills, but he wastes the ball all the time. But that's not a bad thing because look at the pass for Rashford yesterday. I think Anthony's not going to be you know, in games all of the time, but like you said, if he can be clinical and if he can be playing to a system that he knows, like it's no coincidence that Casemiro didn't start yesterday and Anthony did. I think that's because Ten Hag knows him and can trust him. And he wouldn't trust someone that was just this, you know, step over merchant that, you know, can't keep his head. He's, He's obviously someone fight that's composed. Well. He kept that width there for the goal yeah. and him knowing the tactics and doing them is what got him, you know, the win I, pretty much. I, I, to be honest with you, I was, you know, when, when you see a player doing that, <laughs> your automatic <laughs> thought as a defender is... Put him in the stand. You're going to get whacked, but... Do you know, I thought from a United point of view, we've been asking for personality and confidence and character. So we can't knock it because you've mm. got someone out there who's having himself massively. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think Melissa and, and Marty as well. So is that where you're at? That it was just personality and character and confidence that Anthony was showing when he was doing the... He was excitable. I think it was telling that, you know, I've watched the warm-ups every game and what's noticeable is the rondos that United are doing on Ten Hag are much smaller than what they were last season. So more, much smaller, more tight control. There's a new uh, pressing routine where sort of Malassia passes to the coach and then he has to show the coach wide. Uh, and then one thing I also noticed was Fred did the spin move. 
but Anthony does as well, which is that time, like, okay, he, like, he's only been here for four days, but you're already borrowing notes from each other as well. Straight from the kickoff, Anthony tries chesting the ball down to Marcus Rashford, it goes up for a throw, in, and Anthony profusely apologises to Rashford. And it's that thing of, he wants to impress. And there were loads of two or three passes where Sancho's, you know, doing the Ten Hag thing where the players are swapping and interlinking. So Sancho comes over to the right-hand side, passes and things. I'm like, clearly, Jaden Sancho is going to like passing with Anthony. There's going to be two or three times where Anthony looks like he's run down a cul-de-sac and yet smuggles the ball backwards. Yeah. And there was that little cross back to Dallow. Yeah. Dallow gives it to Ericsson. I, and well, I, I think that just gives I'm, everyone a lift. How important to Ericsson, though? You talk about the, he's the one who's, I think, he's coming in on a free transfer, big money spent, but he was pivotal yesterday. I mean, you don't need a touch. He's That's the key. what's so good about it. He's, mm. Some of his passes are just first. There's so many players that will have that. Have a touch, have a touch, look mm -hmm. up, look at the defender. Just first-time passes. He makes it so easy, reads the game so well. We haven't had someone like that since Carrick. <clears throat> Scholes, he Carrick. Do, do you think like, he could... You know, like when he was brought in, I always just thought he, he was there to cover Fernandez. Yes. really. Uh, do you think he could have a big role? I know, I know he played I really well yesterday, but I mean, if you looked at him playing... Playing, you'd never class him as a centre midfield player, but that's where he's really playing, isn't he? Sort of uh, next to you know the whole midfield player. You think Casemiro eventually? Do you think he can? That could be a really good midfield. I think Manchester he was United. supposed to be next to Bruno's, yeah. you know, backup, and then because of the issues that we got, we didn't get Frankie De Jong, who I think was his ideal choice alongside a holding midfielder. I think Frankie and so, Christian Eriksen and the holding midfield was the initial plan. If you look at Manchester United no, right now, surely player, no. Manchester United play a lot like Slow Ajax from 2018. Him, a lot like Ajax from 2018. So there's loads of overloads to one side and then they switch it to the next one, the guy on the opposite corner, either does a pullback or hits the near post. That's Ajax 18-19. Bit like Ajax in early 2018 as well, where they defend kind of deep and they've not quite got it in the middle yet. Because then Frankie comes and Frankie goes super sane. Woohoo. And I think initially the plan was Ericsson was going to be back up and whatever to Fernandez sometimes play left and be the sort of cool head when Fernandez is going too quickly. But then the longer they chase Frankie de Jong, the more you look at that Ajax team with Lasse Shona and Frankie de Jong next to him. Maybe he wanted Ericsson to be the last they shown him. Not sure if that would have been. What, the what, one what do you make of United transfer window? They wanted to spend about 130, 140 million. They ended up spending 230 million. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it, it, we, we've seen it before, haven't we? The Glazer family in a load of trouble, protest building, invest the money to try and appease the fans and basically. You know, panic by the the, the 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 Casemiro and Anthony bids came in two days before Liverpool, I think, which was obviously a moment where they just needed to get players in. Are you happy with the window, or are you not going to fall for it in terms of basically what's happened? Because it doesn't, it wasn't the strategy at the start of the summer to spend the money. The individual spent. signings, I'm happy with. Mm -hmm. The overall strategy and the way we went about it, I'm not happy with. And them again, just showing that they're reactive, they're not proactive. They've never been thinking of. Oh, let's build this team so we can do X, Y, and Z. I think they've seen it and gone, oh my God, this team's worse than we thought. He can't come in and turn these guys into a winning team and then absolutely kind of shit the bed and thought, <laughs> we need to bring in some players. We might not get European football. If they are considering and selling it, is the club worth as much without European football? So I think all those things have gone through their <clears> mind <throat> um, and they've, yeah, they've just panicked. And, it don't make sense though because surely the people analysing the squad who have been there for multiple years or who have spoken to Rangnick or spoken to people, know how good the squad is roughly. Surely two games at the start of the season can't radically change your yeah, idea of Rangnick the squad. Rangnick said to them, we need 10 well, players, and they went, listen, mate, yeah, you've got to get out no, of here. No, exactly. <laughs> what he, you're he saying costs too much money. But surely these, the people buying the players already knew this. 
It was only confirmed what, what most people watching Man United already knew, which is United need a massive investment quickly. And we, we're just finding that out after the Brentford game. I've got a slightly different sense. view on it in that the players that ended up coming were pretty much targeted by Ten Hag before these matches we're talking about. Were they? They just didn't arrive. What, Casemiro? Well, Casemiro clearly wasn't at the top of the priority list because they went for Rabiot after Frankie de Jong yeah. before Casemiro. But we're told that he was on the list in and amongst the thinking. But aside from Casemiro, Anthony was one of the first players linked with United when Ten Hag came in. Uh, Lissandro Martinez is a player that he was very close to at Ajax and we were hearing at the time that Arsenal went in for him that Manchester United were, and Eric Ten Hag, were very fond of him as well. Christian Eriksen, Manchester United, were the biggest bidder for him in terms of the contract proposal from the very start. Mm -hmm. So although they came in at different times, United did have them in their thoughts by and large. And one of the most interesting things, I think, from United's perspective with this window is they've let the manager have the players that he's wanted. And we can't say that about pretty much any manager at United fully since Sir Alex Ferguson. So, you, you know, even the players that were being linked with them at the I, end... I think that's Louis actually been a problem. Louis Van Hart got supported to an extent. David we were, we Moyes being... tried to buy, brought in Fellaini from Everton. I mean, Jose Mourinho went and got Matic from Chelsea. I, I think okay. the biggest but problem... Man, you know, no, problem. The, the biggest problem, I think, at Man United, you might know more than me, is the fact that they've allowed <laughs> managers to do what they want. But there's been and very, they've allowed very that clear to happen again. It might, it might work. It's the order, so... Every Manchester United manager since Ferguson has been a reaction to the failures of the last one. So David Moyes comes in, Dane, the successor, doesn't really work out. Then they go, oh, we need a tactician. Go and get Louis van Gaal. Van Gaal is regarded as a bit odd and esoteric. So then you go and get Mourinho. Mourinho is regarded as a bit sour. No, we're talking about transfers. But every manager is a response to the last one. And their transfer policy is a response. So Moyes doesn't properly get supported because he gets Fellaini for more than the... But he wanted Fabregas and Cruz. And he wants Fabregas and Cruz, so he doesn't get supported. Then they give loads of money to Louis van Gaal. Louis van Gaal, again, bit of a mad scientist. So the players you get are a little odd and esoteric. Then you get to Mourinho, then, then you get the little handbrake thing of, let's not support Mourinho. Oh, let's support him. Oh, let's not support Mourinho. Let's, oh, I mean, let's support where, where, where's him. Where's this come from, not, not, not support Mourinho? No, when we finished second, no, 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 when we finished second, they got the old or the low for the league round. You've asked me a question. You've asked me a question. And you start talking about managers. I'm not talking about managers. You just asked me a question. I'm going to answer it. Mourinho, you say never got backed. He bought Zlatan, Pogba for 90 million, which is like worth about 130. Is that almost free? Yeah. Who's that? Zlatan was free, but yeah. listen, so when he finished second... This idea finished that Man United managers aren't buying no, 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 the wrong no, 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 let that That's been the biggest no, problem. No, 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 you, when, when we finished second, behind uh, City by about 18 points, Guess what, they, guess what they did? Oh, okay, you can just have Fred and Lee Grant. No, he wanted Harry Maguire. He wanted Ivan Perisic. We, we, we needed, you, you, we needed, you, you needed much more reinforcement. That's fine, that's fine. But you asked the question of when did he properly get supported? The summer of 2018. There was a very long and a bit obvious article in a newspaper about how that window went. And you could hear the alarm bells ringing as Mourinho went into that final season. He didn't feel as if he'd been appropriately back. Should he have been? Up to the bait. What about that Arsenal's transfer to, window? <laughs> Arsenal's transfer what do you feel window. About that? I, I thought it was a okay. good transfer. Spent again. Good transfer summer, window. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, as Adam said, uh, we're, with United, where they're reacting, which is something we've done over the years. I thought we were very proactive this year. We've got Jesus in early. We've got Zinchenko in early. Um, Fabio Vieira. I, I think some, you know, brought back Saliba has been like a new signing. Definitely has been. Yeah. And I thought we've made some really good signings. And you've got to remember, we've got no Champions League football, you know, and we've been able to persuade someone like Jesus who, you know... Um 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Chelsea tried to hijack that deal at the end and we, we persuaded these guys to come in. So I thought, when you consider no Champions League football, you know, we missed out on that. You, you a great what? transfer window. They got in early, they had a great pre-season and you're seeing that these players are making a big difference I think you had to the, the team. I think Arsenal had the biggest spend, if I'm right, or first or second last season. I think it was pretty close until obviously Manchester United and Chelsea had a, yeah. a big goal this season. This season, and you've had we, no chance for league football. So if you don't get Champions League football this season, do you think that'll that'll be cut? You, you won't be spending again. It would that be it would, it would be damaging, I, I I guess, to what we'd be able to outlay again. But um, you know, I, I I just going back to the window. I think the only thing that was we didn't react enough to didn't f- finish the window right yeah. was. We, were, we needed a defensive midfielder. I was just going to say, yeah. um, we asked and... Mikel Arteta, first game of the season, Friday night football against Palace. Mm. And we said to him, are you going to do any more business? And he said, yeah, he wanted to do more business. And we mm. said, what area? We said, midfield. Mm. Yeah. Why did they wait until the was it, was it transfer deadline day where they bid for Louise? Mm. Yeah, well, it, it, it looked... why, why, why did they wait that three, four weeks? Well, I mean, you, you know better I, than I, me, thought, Dave, I, but thought, I, mean... midfield, I thought midfield yesterday was the one area where I that thought United just... looked like they had more at times in terms of passing through the lines. I know that Arsenal did really well in midfield, but then when there was a moment to open up the game, I know Odegaard can do that, but I just felt they did lack a midfield player. Well, they did bring in Fabio Vieira as a midfielder, but I know what you were saying, a, a central midfielder. And... But why did they wait so long? So given... Jamie's point about finances, there's been a heavy outlay in recent years and the ownership have uh, backed uh, Mikel Arteta and Edu, the technical director, and the focus of their attention was that striker, that left back, and then it became a numbers game. I was told consistently that a midfielder might come in, like a Tielemans, for example, if there's a departure for a Xhaka, for example. I'm not saying that was a credible um, possibility. Um, as things developed in the window, the vacancy became on the wing because Pepe was loaned out to Nice, so they were one winger down. And that's when the interest focused in on Pedro Neto at Wolves. Mm. Very quickly, Thomas Partey gets injured, Mohamed Elneny okay. suffers a considerable injury, and they needed to shift that in the final days. They looked at Tielemans again. That one wasn't happening for one reason or another, and so that's where the shift came to uh, Douglas Luiz. Three bids made, three rejected. Aston Villa were adamant to me and other journalists that he's not going anywhere. And so it was how much Arsenal can test that resolve. He's only got uh, a year to go on his contract. He hadn't been playing that regularly for them when he had. He hadn't been at his best form. They were being offered money for him. We were being led to believe he would be keen on the move. So these are the factors on a deadline day that make you sort of Mm. poke the bear. And that bear was not... um, 
prepared to relent. And, and so Arsenal finished without getting what they ultimately wanted. That's a shame because I think if they would have got Douglas Louise or Danilo, they were linked to as well, somebody like that, they would have finished off the window really, really well. But we have, yeah, we're just missing that one piece. But I've liked what they've done in the win because normally we are just like what you described there, where we're just reacting, reacting, reacting. But I've seen a difference this window and it's been good. There's also I mean, not that they... unlimited budget. And yeah. Jamie points out, there's no Champions League football at the moment. And Arsenal's um, debt that they'll be reporting will be racking up like a number of clubs. What is the debt at Arsenal? Well, it was over £100 million pounds in the oh, last reported account. No one near as um, big as we United. wish we had that kind of debt. <laughs> <laughs> and it was influenced by the pandemic as well. And the owners have uh, supported, despite, you know, uh, intense criticism from their own fan base. Um, but that spending can't continue forever and it couldn't seemingly on deadline day or they would have weighed up the value of going even further for Douglas Luiz, who's yeah, a free I mean, agent the, next the summer. Thing, the thing we're asking, talking about the last window, you said you've liked this window. I, I really like what's happened for the last sort of two, the last two windows. Arsenal. Yeah. You can see there's been a plan in terms of yeah. we're going to go for younger players. I think you made the mistake of you know getting Willian, I think Cedric, uh, mm. David Luiz, older players after Those winning... Panic, by the yeah, way. Yeah, oh, I think after winning that FA Cup. But I actually think the players that you've brought in being really brave, no one else really would have taken them. And the position Arsenal found yourself in, you couldn't go and get Champions League play, so you're almost having to build this young team. But I can't look at many of the transfers of the last couple of years and think, oh, that's been a disaster. Everything yeah, no, looks for no. he looks a good player, or the guy yeah. coming in. Because then like you said, up right back a... now is a lot of money, yeah. but Saliba's back in, Zinchenko, Jesus, Martinelli for really uh, a pittance, really. Yeah. He didn't play too much word, money the on The word him. that you use, Jamie, a plan. Mm. And that, <laughs> previous, <laughs> previous. <laughs> I know what you're doing. I know what no, you're no, doing. No, 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 no. I'll just set them up for you. Just get them in. Cheeky, previous, previous, cheeky bastards. Previous, <laughs> previous to that, we ain't, we ain't, no, we ain't no plan. We ain't no plan up, up until last season. And you know, like I see somebody like our, like when we got Ramsdale. And David, you know, we, most fans are, you are like... Him? What, are you having him, by the way? I am having him. him? him? Yeah. I, I, did you see his distribution yesterday? How good mm. he was. That can have out of full time. Like, man's Joe up. If you... Man's Joe up. Absolute passion. Yeah, yeah, but if you were to compare his distribution, right? So you're talking about, when I say plans and it's the style that you want to play, would De Gea be He'll able cost to... cost you more goals. Could De Gea... One second. No, but I think he's right. I think eventually Ten Hag will be looking for the And how Ten Hag's going to want to play, right? Would De Gea... No, but I'm saying... Would De Gea be able to have the distribution to yeah. how Ten Hag's going to want to no, no, play? No, that's fine. That's cool. So that's what I'm saying. So well, we had Leno. Ramsdale. One second, we had Leno, who's a quality keeper for. Nobody was unhappy with Leno. Yeah, good shot. But his shot. distribution weren't great. And he's bought in this guy because he's got a particular way in which he wants to play. So he's got a plan for every player that he's sort of bringing. And I see a plan now. And I like that. On and that, that point, and that's I do why think we're the Bravka could get a chance at probably more games than we expect him to because yeah. of that reason. Who, sorry? The Bravka. I, I genuinely think that could happen because of that. I, I said yesterday during the game, even though Arsenal were losing, I felt as though, I felt more confident. They, I don't think they will get Champions League, but I felt more confident than you, that you could get Champions League having watched yesterday. Do you think you will get Champions League? No, for, for Arsenal to get, look, for United or Arsenal to get Champions League, they could get Champions League. But it's between Chelsea, Arsenal, I think, and um, United. I think Tottenham will finish in the top three still. Hmm. I know you don't like that. I know you're trying to trigger me again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to trigger you again. Yeah, it's just a little one. But I, I, think, I, I think City... No, I mean, Liverpool are the ones that could just sneakily <laughs> oh, slip out of it. Oh, you're the bear all over the room. <laughs> <laughs> are no, you confident, I... top four? 
I'm not obviously 100% confident, but I like the way we started the season. And where we are right now, we cannot complain. Obviously, there's still improvements to be made. We've still got another window for that. But this is going to be the crunch time from... This month alone is going to be the crunch time for Arsenal and for other teams as well, fitting in those Europa League games, as well as the, the fixture list we've got going on. With the injuries we have, that's the only setback for me. But the way we're playing our football, if we continue the season like that, there's no doubt we'll get if top I four. If I get top four, what happens? Well, I, I'm not in control, but if maybe... Ten Hag don't get top four. No, no, but... It, but right. Ten Hag's been say... there three years and he's had two big mm. summer spends. Mm. If you don't get top four, what happens? Well, to be questions with the arse, but what, what I'd say, just going back to your question, <laughs> I'm quite confident we'll get top four. You I, I, I think... I'm 80%. I think... It's about the right, Champions League, it's I Europa think, League and top four. You've got yeah. to... Yeah. One way or another, you've got to... Yeah. Do you think yeah. they'll get, get top four? I'm being really impressed with them. I just don't know if they've got the squad. When I actually watch Tottenham yeah, this season squad, or I watch man. Manchester United, uh, when they start get, almost getting results the same sort of, you know, almost feel big, powerful, tough to beat. But when I watch Arsenal, it's fast, it's energetic. I'm, I'm, I'm excited watching them. But could what happen? Yes, they happen too often. But the more impressive team... When, you, when we, we talk about how the game's played right now and, you know, a technical game and, and what Liverpool and maybe Man City have done over the last sort of four or five years, Arsenal, I think, are closer than that and say yeah. Tottenham and Manchester United are. I think yeah. we, lo and we lose. I, I personally think, right, I'm, I'm just, I'm quite confident we'll get top four. I think we will lose less games than last season. I think it's going to be a much harder place to come to the Emirates to get points um, for other teams this season. I, I, I think we're going to be very strong there. And I think we will go to, um, I think we'll beat a lot of the teams we're supposed to beat away. Mm. And I think we will, this season, go to one of those teams that we traditionally lose against and get a win. We didn't do it yesterday. Top four, I've, I've, Arsenal. <laughs> two have said yeah. I think they'll sneak into the top four, but one of the most telling points just quickly yesterday was the character and the composure in a big match. Arsenal are now oozing with quality, and I see what you're saying. They close the gap on the biggest teams. But when you go to Man United, even at this embryonic stage of the Ten Hag era, they can still kill Arsenal at Old Trafford. And Liverpool are going to grind out results because they've been there in recent years. Tottenham are doing it. Their manager, Conte, is a born winner. Chelsea have got it within their makeup to do it. Um, and obviously, Manchester City are class apart. The Arsenal character, composure, maturity was perhaps missing at that one all yesterday and that could be a defining factor that makes it fourth or fifth place because they've I, I got think, the quality. I think Arsenal finish above Man United. But they don't have the benefit of Poking United back, collapsing yes. like we did last season. <laughs> Tottenham sacked their manager last year and you still finished behind them. Like you do, I, I what don't was that see, about United? Sorry, collapsed. United collapsed last year and they just about, Arsenal just about finished above United. They, they did. No, not but, just about. Collapsed. We were, you were sick. Why did you collapse? We need to get it. It's like one of them things. Don't count against. the games we lost. But no, I mean, we collapsed. I'm making the exact point. Did you count know? the games we lost. United won't lose. Well, they could do exactly the same. Same with us. Same with us. I just think they'll finish behind them. I just think. United get top four. We've got a better chance than Arsenal. Do you they think United will get top, top four in six years? Arsenal will be more affected by But do you think we'll get top four? I do think they will. Yeah. So who's, 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 who's your top four then? Who's your top four? I think it'll be City. I think it'll probably be Liverpool, Tottenham and United. I don't, I don't so understand. Well. You know what? I don't understand why you feel you have a better chance just because. because listen, we've got at any, squad that has done any it. given we've time, we've got a squad right? that's finished top four. At any given time, times. going to Old Trafford, we brought Brazil's midfield off the bench yesterday. Yep. Yeah, uh, but, but let me just say, yeah, at any, <laughs> at any, <laughs> at any given time, at any given time for any top team, yeah. even when you're playing, well, I've seen City, they're playing well. 
They've gone to United and lost. It can happen. I'm not... Don't just judge it off... Don't compare yourself to City. I'm not, but I'm just saying, don't just judge it off of yesterday. I'm not. I'm judging it off of... I'm judging it off what I've seen Arsenal in pre-season going right through how we're playing. I watch them every week. You watch your yeah. team every week. But how we're playing, I feel One or two that this team is capable of getting the top four. More. We've got no Martial. We can bring Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I think Jesus gets injured. You, you an injury to Jesus, you know an injury to party like we've seen at the you, moment. You, I think they affect you. Guys, you guys are just quoting names. I'm quoting how my team is playing. These are facts, though. A team playing. So I, I'm, think, I'm saying, think Arsenal are a better team than Man United right, right now. Right now, they're a better team. Yeah, yeah but I'm saying it's because Arteta's three years in, Ten Hag's just starting and he's gone a little bit more pragmatic because he can't play the way an Arsenal team does right now. I think in two or three years' time, I think the way Arsenal performed yesterday, that's how Manchester United will be playing. Playing from the back all the time, trying to play through the lines. I admire what Ten Hag's done. So right now, I actually think Arsenal had you have the edge, but squad-wise, that'll be a big problem. Yeah, if you get injuries to certain players, mm. I don't. I think Manchester United... United top four? No. To finish? No. Neither team are So we're a bit more negative on this side. Around no, he's, just being, he's a Neither journalist, he's being rude. Neither, or you think Chelsea will get in there? Yeah, I, I, the top four conversation is not about how good United or how good Arsenal can be. It's about which one of the top four Currently, you know, which one of Liverpool, yeah, City, drop out. Chelsea, Spurs are going to drop hey, out? Wait, and I genuinely, are behind I genuinely don't think, <laughs> I genuinely don't think either, any of them are. I think Spurs are not very good and yet keep winning games. I think Chelsea are weird, but I think Thomas Tuchel will figure that out sooner rather than later. And I think talk of a Liverpool demise is great. I think you've got a situation where there are six very good football clubs and there are four slots. I'm going to give it to the managers who've been in their positions longest and have the strongest squads, which are not these two teams. Right. Let's move on to ownership. So we'll start with Arsenal, actually. Mm. And last season, there was all the sort of noise around uh, Spotify, mm. change of ownership. There's been some discontent for many years. Where are you currently? in terms of the Conquer ownership. And now you just, I suppose, in some ways, accepting of the fact he isn't going to sell and he's going to, he's been there for the long game. Well, now they've got full ownership now, so mm. they're not going anywhere. It's gone a bit quiet on that, on the fans making it... I haven't heard anything. Because you're recently. winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably right. I mean, you know, signings. I don't, I don't just think it's because we're winning. I think, um, you know, over the last two seasons, like we said, we have kind of seen a plan. They have backed the manager. We have kind of seen a plan in what they're doing. So I think there's a lot of... The jury's still out with a lot of fans. You know what I mean? Um, what Do they the, engage with you? Do they engage with I, you and have conversations they, with you? They, I, don't feel, I don't feel they engage enough. They are engaging a bit more than what they used to yeah. do. Um, yeah, actually, they're, they're engaging more than they used to In do. In what way? In what way? Just they, be specific. They've, they've set up like a, a fan group that they speak to. Mm. Um, I feel that, you know, they've kind of made it clear some decisions that they've made. But the jury's still out because, you know, they have been at the club for a long time. What I think what the Cronkies are trying to say is that we've only had full ownership now for the last few years yeah. before it wasn't all ours. Now, I, I remember speaking to a friend of mine who's sort of a business guy and he was saying, and I was saying to me, I'm not having that as an excuse. They've been here for years and years and years. And he was saying to me, well, yeah, but Robbie, in business, if you take the football thing out of it right now, in business, if you own a business sort of jointly, even though you're the majority shareholder with another partner that you don't really like, you're not going to give it your all because you don't really want them benefiting from it. And he goes, that's what it boils down to. So maybe the fact now that they do own all of it, maybe we are going to see, you know, and some of their other franchises, you know, yeah. um, have done well. They've won the Super Bowl. They've won the, you know, with their NHL team, hockey team, they won the Stanley Cup. So... 
I think a lot of Arsenal fans are just sort of at the moment saying, right, we're going to wait and see Lay off them what you're going to do. So they have been kind of eased up a bit, but I still think the jury's out with yeah, a lot okay. of fans. fans also, you know, the docu- I think the documentary's helped a lot because I know you can manipulate shows to work in your favour, but from what we saw from the documentary, it looked as if they actually care about the future of the club and they're not just there using it as a cash cow for other businesses. You know, as I also I think as well, Pippa, um, they got Mikel Arteta there mm. who has bridged that gap brilliantly for Between, them. The yeah. documentary helped with that as well. It did. And I think that he's taken, you know, because the fans like Mikel Arteta so much, that's taken a little of the heat off of them as well. So, talk to us a little bit about Spotify and what was going on there and what, how the Cronky family saw it and were they ever considering selling? It felt from the outside that that was the most delicate time because you're right, summer 2018, they take full ownership. We've got to speak in facts. They've made many more signings and spent bigger money since Mm. that occurrence. Um, But then came, uh, you know, continued protests at the poor performance and the Super League. And that was what tipped many fans over the edge. And you saw them protesting at the Emirates Stadium, not quite in the way that fans broke into Old Trafford, but it was vociferous (laughs) in its own right. And as soon as the Super League collapsed on that uh, Monday, Tuesday evening, um, there was a call that uh, Josh Kroenke appeared on with Arsenal supporters. um, And a few questions were able to be asked and he answered a couple of them. He also uh, gave a little speech himself. I remember listening into it and then he was gone. So there was some accountability there. And as the um, months have passed, Mikel Arteta has batted for him in public. They've said, he has said, the owners have backed me and I've never experienced better owners in my time in football. That's pretty bold for, for a manager to come out and say. Arsenal have shifted it really from Stan Kroenke being the main the man son. involved at Arsenal to his son, yeah. Josh, who is more connected. Um, you know, he's got... Uh, on the ground experience in the USA, dealing with the players. With is the he media. over here a lot? Yeah. He comes over a little bit more than mm. we know. Sometimes you see. We, we never used to see stuff. Yeah, but I and, and, uh, and you see him in the director's box. And at other times mm. he's appeared at Colney when it hasn't made public news. Mm. So he's around the club. He talks to people. He gets involved with players. I think there's some reasonable communication from players and staff to ownership level without disrespecting the process of going through Edu, technical director, and Vinay Venkatesham, the chief executive. But at this point in time, it's quieting down. But back to Jamie's point, it's because they're winning matches. And if they weren't, and if the fans who are no mugs are going to see things they don't like, then that sentiment will come up once again. So, the Manchester United fans are still noisy. Most of the game yesterday, they were glazer out. Chance, is it going to end or is it just going to get... So the only time I think that ends, and I think you'll know as well, I think we were protesting during your playing career, and um, we'll continue to protest until the point that the Glazers are gone. I think even when Manchester United have been successful, those, those protests have always been there in the background. Obviously, they're more vociferous. I think the, the Super League didn't help with that. I think, you know, when you look at the, the way the club's being run, you look across the road at Manchester City, the debt's still the same. They've still taken a billion and a half out of the club. So when you look at all those things, even if Manchester United spend 200 million in the transfer window, United fans don't care about that. That's not going to change our opinion because Manchester United are a club that make enough money that we should be able to do that every season if we want to. And it shouldn't affect anything. So the Glazers will always be under pressure from the Manchester United fans. And I've been really impressed with the level of the protest. It started at the back end of last season and they just carried on, carried on, carried on. Hats off to the supporters groups that are responsible and uh, long may it continue until they're gone. 
Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. But I just think you asked before about where's this money coming from for these transfers. Well, not taking 20 million quid a year out in dividends would be a start. You know, it, it, the way they've run the club and the fact that this scattergun approach that we've seen for the last eight, nine years since Sir Alex Ferguson left. And even before that, there were some windows where you just scratch your head at some of the players were brought in. It's because they've hired people who don't know what they're doing. They've hired bankers to do the job of football people. And again, we've seen it this summer where I thought that you know there's meant to be this new structure, there's meant to be new people, and you want to give new people a chance that are, are trying to you know get these signs over the line. But then in one week it goes from Rabiot and Arnautovic to Casemiro and Anthony, and you think, have we learned anything? And I think all of that come, you know you talk about in the dressing room how one or two things can make a difference. When you've got the Glazers there and the, the atmosphere and, and the way that the club is being ran, it is so difficult to get a team and a, and a club that is working and all pulling in the same direction because they have the overall authority and they don't know what they're doing. And they're literally bleeding the club dry for their own means and it's never going to change while they're there. So, like Adam said, the only way to, for, for the protest to stop, for things to change, is for them to leave. Could I ask you something? I mean, I've, I've spoke about this and I'm, I'm totally with, with the supporters on this, but when you're talking about you know the money they're taking out of the club yeah. and the debt and all that, I get all that. But you know if, if the club was actually run right in terms of what you're talking about, the the, the, the transfer setup. If, if they had a, a proper yeah. footballing structure of, you know, really top people and they weren't doing bizarre things in the transfer market, which I actually still think this summer was a bit like that when, when I see the Casemiro's here and the actual money it's going to cost wages and transfer fee for a player at that age just feels madness to me. But do, do you think that would placate the fans a little bit if it was proper organised structure because they're still spending a lot of money even though they're still taking I, money out. I, I think so to a certain extent, but ultimately no. Because if your club's in half a billion of debt mm. and they're taking money out every year and that debt hasn't moved, mm. then no. Especially when you, look, when you do look over at City and you look at, they've spent about a billion and a half on the infrastructure at the club. Manchester United, the ground should be the best, our training ground should be the best, and it's, it's stood still, it's probably still the same from when Gary was playing. And also, you can't forget the last 15 years. You can't say, oh, I'll be better tomorrow. Forget all the bad things I've done. Forget the way the club's been ran for 15 years. One more, you know, we'll, we'll change things. And also, where is it? It's not changing. We're, we're coming up with a, a, yeah. a fantasy situation where they're slightly year. better owners than they really are, which isn't true. They keep doing these scattergun transfers, you know. This morning, there's been a, a report of a £3.75 billion potential sale. I, mean, I, I think the number's low. I can't believe they'll sell for that. But do you feel as though something is happening? Are you hearing that on the sort of the journalistic side, that things are happening behind the scenes? There's been conversation for a while about Many, many things with Manchester United. It can be so hard to separate wheat from chaff. I'm the same as you. 3.75 seems quite cheap. That's probably before the stadium and the debt's paid. And, and I think a big soft gauge for everything is the Chelsea sale. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the Chelsea sales probably had a very soft, maybe even large reverberations around Europe as to this is how expensive a Champions League club in England costs. Um, so 4.25 billion. Yeah. yeah. Chelsea. That was, yeah, with a incredible. including a commitment on yes. infrastructure. It's so uh, 3.57 million in a newspaper just didn't ring right to me uh, at all. Do you think the fact the money Chelsea went for is actually a problem for you in uh, terms of how many people can actually well, I think it's a problem it, with the soft P. In terms of Manchester United changing hands, do you think the actual price, it must... Problem with the soft off. P, because if, if you are a business person, which we know the Glazers are, and, OK, the, the current glazers are not the 
as business-minded or as aggressive business-minded as Malcolm Glazer was. But I think it's not unreasonable to look at how Chelsea were sold and in the circumstances Chelsea were sold for and go, well, actually, we can get at least that much money if they were inclined into selling. The, now, we don't necessarily know. It is for Chelsea, they weren't struggling for bidders. There aren't many people in the world that have got three billion quid, but there aren't many that have got five or two mm -hmm. or one. Just, you know, it, just it, on the 3.75 billion, they only own 70% or 69% of the club. That could be for their... 69%, which would mean it would value overall yeah. around 5 billion, wouldn't yes. it? Yes, we've heard these reports gathering and they don't gather from nowhere. So there was an initial piece in Bloomberg, I think it was, suggesting that they might be open to selling yeah. a portion. Within days, Sir Jim Radcliffe had made it be known that he would be ready to Apollo came out, it was Apollo invest. came out. Yeah, Apollo were mentioned in that part yeah. of the conversation with Sir Jim Radcliffe, um, that he'd be prepared to invest if they were willing to open the doors with a view to future full ownership. But I don't wish to dampen United fans' optimism on that, but there's no evidence that the Glazers want out, no firm evidence that I have or have seen journalistically elsewhere. Um, they seem to be long-term investors, owners of their sports franchises. And one thing we've learned with the Cronkies at Arsenal is that these ownership groups more often than not have the thickest of skins, like a rhinoceros hide that just cannot be breached. And so the distance they have to the club in the States and um, the path that they've been on since 2005, when many of us were at Cardiff for that FA Cup final against Arsenal and the animosity that day was sharp, I felt it. And it's continued. If you've ever been down to uh, FC United when they were at Gig Lane, um, you felt it. A lot of us live in this area and we feel it on a daily basis, but I don't think that crosses the Atlantic in the way also, that would have been. They, they, are, they, they are resilient, but I, I do believe there is no, some evidence. No, no, no. And, the ev and the evidence is such that they've maxed out on the debt, they've taken all the money out of their overdraft facility, they've only got, I think, 40, 50, 60 million quid in the bank, they've committed to infrastructure projects that could total over a billion, and they only own 69%. How are they going to raise this? They can't put another billion of debt against the club. So the mm. evidence is there that something needs to change in the next six to 12 months, not just with the 230 million pounds spent, but something definitely needs to change. Now that means they either have to bring in a partner mm. or they have to go and put a lump of load more debt on the club, which they can't do. The fans would absolutely never have that. Do you think but, they're going to put more yeah, debt on the really club to do this thing? Do you football? think they're going to put more debt on the club? I'm not Basically, going to exclude yeah. it. I don't think it will happen. I also, I also, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. already shown their colours. a possibility. Because right? now that the, the difficult... How do and they the get thing... round the issue of the money they're going to need to put into the club, not just to deal with the transfers, but to renovate the stadium? It's a at big ask. It's a big ask. It's a very difficult challenge. Why do you think they're renovating they the stadium? Do... Right. Because well, they promised us. They've right. made false right. promises for this such a long time. This is a very good question. Look, let's be clear. If they leave that stadium... Another three, four. To do, to do anything proper with that stadium, it's going to be a three to five year process. Mm -hmm. A renovation, the planning permission for it, it'll take 12 months probably to get it all sorted, get it through the fans, and then it'll take another couple of years to do it. So they've got to do a major renovation or they've got to do a rebuild of some kind. Mm -hmm. Right. They have committed to that. Right. Now, I agree, they could break the, they could break well, the, the commitment. We've not <laughs> <laughs> That's already a thing they could that break could the, go that, one way or another. Period where that every time we lost the game, we got promised there was going to be a director of football. <laughs> right. And when Jose got sacked, and they went, yes. we're going to get a director of football. There team. was a statement after two years was to get sacked, that. saying... And it's like, they are quite happy to say the thing that the fans want to hear, and then never do it. Look at, I'm intrigued this time now. I'm intrigued this time now. There's a 
without meaning to blow smoke up Gary's backside, there's a really good extract from a book of his that's coming out in the papers oh. today, which articulates these points. And I do think this is a crunch moment because I, I've not been at Old Trafford where every incident or substitution or goal, the fans break out into, we want Glazers out. We saw the stadium uh, breach during lockdown when there were the Super League protests. The um, infrastructure is not fit for purpose. No. So it literally can't hold itself up for a, a great deal longer. Um, Carrington needs to be redeveloped in, in some way, shape or form. Um, I don't think a signing or two will cloud the fans' judgment on that front. There may be some processes, you talked earlier about whether you put a football structure in place that placates the fans for a while. Liverpool have a go-between in, in Mike Gordon uh, on behalf of the ownership. Arsenal put a guy called Tim Lewis, their man on the ground here. Things have improved since then. Chelsea for the Abramovich era had Marina Granovskaya. The Glazers have had nobody. So they're not addressing that football issue uh, from what we can see, unless you call Eric Ten Hag that and John Murtagh and and others in that structure. Um, but I don't think the infrastructure can wait much longer. Yes, no. But this is the thing. And I don't think, I mean, to your question, do you think the ownership at Manchester United could have a competent footballing structure? I don't think so. At a certain point, you have to think, this is possibly by design. This is, there's a certain point where negligence and incompetence are one and the same, and you have to treat them one and the same and just keep analysizing further and further on. But also, Billionaires' problems solve completely different to us because, again, winter for them is a choice. Like, they just... Living the way you live in that sort of bubble is completely different to how we think and problem solve. And one thing that was very hard for a football fan to get their head around is the idea that someone can own something that you love very dearly and you treat as emotional release and treat that completely devoid of emotion. That's the difficult thing. That's the problem thing. That's the difficult thing. That's the difficult thing when you're trying to go, what are they going to do next? Because they're not looking at it in the same way you are looking at something. The confusing thing, though, is if they did make some amendments, they've got the biggest potential in world football there to capitalise on that could make them even more money. Mm. Yes. What, what has been the their reaction the towards the, the protests and stuff? Is that having an impact on them? <laughs> not that we've seen. Yeah, well, the sponsors. We have seen the impact. They spent 230 million quid when they only wanted to spend 120. But that, that felt that, like a reaction to results yeah, but, yeah, but rather that, than protests. I think it was a bit of the protests, the results, everything coming together at once. They were under heat a couple of weeks yeah. ago. The, the results will have helped them. The spending of the money on Anthony and Casemiro, they will think will help them. Mm. But they're still, the walls are closing in. It was in interesting when Arsenal um, were struggling towards the end of the Wenger reign and there were a lot of empty seats at the Emirates Stadium and the soundings we were getting from our calls and investigations from a journalistic point of view was that that didn't go down well with the Cronky family when that's beamed around the world and you mm. see a half-empty Emirates stadium with placards yeah. everywhere. So fans voting with their feet, you would like to think, has some level of impact. Yeah. It's just how big an impact is that and whether it will move them more than just showing some cash in the market. That's, well, always, the, that's always the hard thing, yeah, to walk out because I... <laughs> I heard that the United fans are going to walk out on the on the Liverpool game, and it's a hard thing to do when I mean, you're, you're a fan of the club. The, the organisers of the very minute yeah. didn't have anything to do with that, to be fair. Right, it's not going to go away. This issue is it? Uh, not until they do. Fingers crossed, very soon. But if not, <laughs> we'll keep protesting. So it. that's the end of the overlap fan debate special. Thank you very much all for joining us. Really enjoyed that first edition of the overlap fan debate special, and we'll see you soon.
On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.